Welcome to Nicosia and Kat. After two episodes with guests, we come back to our analysis with an episode dedicated to our favorite topic, the Cyprus problem and the informal 5 plus 1 conference. We shed a critical light on the positions of the parties and the international community, and we discussed what can come out of it in the near future. Welcome to Nicosia and Kat. We are uh, recording uh, at the aftermath of the informal 5 plus 1 uh, conference that took place in Geneva with the participation of the Greek Cypriot and Turkish Cypriot side, uh, as well as the ministers of foreign affairs of the three guarantor powers and the United Nations. As uh, you all know, the, uh, the conference collapsed, but the process did not. <laughs> Uh, so the United Nations Secretary General uh, finished the conference by saying that uh, no common ground was found, but that he does not give up and that uh, the United Nations will attempt to put together yet another summit in two or three months' time. So if such a summit will take place, it will happen at some point in the summer, but definitely after the EU Council in June. And uh, one wonders what would change then. So, what is your uh, view of the situation, Kemal? There was something strange about this particular summit. We know that in the history of Cyprus problem, we always have such summit meetings, informal, formal, four-party, five-party kind of different combinations. But what was strange about this one was that To each and every person who have been following Cyprus problem, it was very clear and obvious that the positions of the sides were not breachable. Greek Cypriot leader, uh, Mr. Anastasiadis, he said that their position is to be in line with the UN resolutions and to support a federal solution. In fact, however, we all know how he acted, especially since after Gran Montana, to undermine such a solution, including the convergences that had been reached up until Crown Montana. But the reason why he was very comfortable in this is because after the elections in the Turkish Cypriot community, the new Turkish Cypriot leader and also the new Turkish position combined is now that the Turkish side is in favor of a two-state solution, period. And this position is clearly against the United Nations Security Council resolutions because there have been loads of work which have been going on since, since 1960s. There have been convergences, there have been agreements, high-level agreements, there have been UN resolutions which said that the solution would be a bicommunal, bizonal, federal republic. We know that in the past, various leaders have discussed supposedly discussed federation, but their positions were not necessarily federation. Uh, Mr. Denktash, for example, he always said that he is discussing federation, but in fact, he was discussing confederation. We all know this. But this is the first time ever that in an international meeting, regardless of the fact that it was supposedly informal, Turkey and Turkish Cypriots have supported openly a two-state solution. This is the first time in the history of, of Cyprus talks. We know that in their minds in the past, maybe they had this, but this is the first time they officially endorsed this position. What is strange about this particular meeting was the fact that everybody knew that the positions were not breachable. However, international community behind the scenes either acted as if or genuinely tried 
to breach the positions before that conference. There were messages, uh, there were leakages saying that, in fact, there is a possibility of a breakthrough. I don't know on which grounds the sites have been saying this, considering that the fact that the envoy of the UN Secretary General, Ms. Lut, have been going back and forth for more than a few years now, giving this impression that something is actually brewing up. But the result, regardless of the fact that they said that there will be another uh, meeting, probably another informal meeting in the, in the near future, the result is a complete failure. It is a failure in a couple of reasons. Number one, it is a failure because it has demonstrated that the UN, despite the fact that the positions were not bridgeable, insisted to carry on with this approach. It is a failure in the sense that it reinforced the feeling, the idea that the Cyprus problem cannot be solved and damaging hopes and attempts for all those who are really trying to do so. There is always a cost when you fail. And regardless of the fact that some are trying to hide it, it is a failure. I, I am not going to discuss the positions of the of the, the sites anymore. We know that the, the existing players have not necessarily been really interested in, in finding the solution. So I'm not even going to <laughs> criticize them. But I'm really disappointed how the international community, particularly the United Nations, handled this catastrophe and giving us another failure. Well, no, I agree with what you said up to now. I think um, even though the UN Secretary General referred to another uh, informal summit uh, in two or three months' time, one wonders what will change till then. Some claim that it will give time for the international powers uh, like uh, the USA or the European Union to exert pressure on the sites in order to try and uh, um, bridge um, the gap between them. Uh, as you said, uh, all analysts you know, who are following the process knew that this was kind of doomed to fail. And uh, it is interesting that you said that it was a failure because it was indeed a failure, and yet uh, all the implicated parties sort of left uh, with the claim to having succeeded. So you had the Turkish Cypriot leader uh, glorifying his presence there and suggesting that because it was the first time that this issue was put on the table, I mean, the two-state solution, it means that there was a, a progress. On the other hand, you also had the Greek Cypriot leader uh, who in the press conference after the, the, the end of the conference, he appeared absolutely relieved about the outcome of the of the process and in all honesty he should be relieved because on the one hand the process did not collapse so he wouldn't be um, held responsible for a collapse in the process and on the other hand there was no movement either a movement that would possibly alienate the nationalists in his party and let's remember that there's going to be elections in the Republic of Cyprus, parliamentary elections in one month's time. So he was right to be relieved uh, because I don't think that the claims to wanted by Zonabek Communal Federation are to be trusted. I mean, uh, we've seen the way he has been acting uh, for the past four years, so that's I think any decent analysis would uh, would cast doubt on Anastasiadis' commitment towards a Bayezona Communal Federation, 
which makes it even more ironic the fact that in the course of the conference, the Republic of Cyprus Minister of Foreign Affairs, Mr. Christodoulidis, he had to contact all the his counterparts in the five permanent Security Council uh, countries uh, in order to ask them to reaffirm their commitment to a bizonal bicommunal federation. It is interesting that the Republic of Cyprus has suddenly endorsed <laughs> the BBF to this extent because, as we all remember, after the Grand Montana conference, it took at least two years for the Greek Cypriot side to even mention the bizonal bicommunal federation. So that is that. And uh, at the same time, it is also worth noting that uh, despite the fact that the Republic of Cyprus had insisted on the necessity for the European Union to be a part of the conference, in the end, uh, Turkey's rejection of this suggestion uh, um, dominated and the, the European Union was not a part of the conference. It sent some representatives from the European External Action Service. However, it did not participate in the negotiations. It was simply there uh, on the sidelines, not taking part in the plenary or anything. So the question now really is, what now? What happens from now on? And before we go there, I would like to ask you, Kemal, we saw the Turkish Cypriot leader in support of uh, the Turkish uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, putting forward this position for a two-state solution. A two-state solution that, I mean, his whole suggestion is completely ungrounded. Uh, the suggestion, if you look, because the, the six-point suggestion was leaked to the media and we saw that there was a, a requirement for an a priori recognition of the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus before the sides would engage in a negotiation on, on the other aspects of the Cyprus problem, the territorial, the property issue, etc. So this is an ungrounded suggestion that goes outside all the UN Security Council resolutions. The European Union has made it explicit that it will not accept a two-state solution within the European Union. So the question is, to what extent is Turkey willing to support the Turkish Cypriot community in this endeavor? To what extent is this a, a line that is dictated by Turkey itself? And as a Cypriot, uh, my concern is what now about the Turkish Cypriots as well, who risk being increasingly marginalized in the international sphere because they are putting forward a position uh, that cannot be supported by uh, any other side. And one needs to bear in mind here that the former Turkish Cypriot leader, Mustafa Akinci, has been repeating that this is a dangerous course of action by the Turkish Cypriot community that risks it being seen as the intransigent one and that basically will lose any leverage when it comes to its position on the international scene. So what now for the Turkish Cypriot community when it comes to this? I think in order to answer this question, we need to discuss and analyze Turkey because after the elections, we can comfortably say that the Turkish Cypriot leadership is fully synced with Turkey. In fact, they are taking all the blames for Turkey and Turkey is uh, using the Turkish Cypriot leadership. Some would call it, uh, you know, like a puppet and uh, I wouldn't be challenging this statement because they are dictating whatever they want to them, to the Turkish Cypriot leadership, to him. And, and he is taking all the blame on behalf of them because um, uh, last 24 hours, we have seen statements from the Turkish officials saying that they are only supporting the position of the Turkish Cypriots. 
which is not uh, convincible anymore because of the all the all the failures of establishing a, a genuine um, respectful Turkish Cypriot Turkish affairs we know how they are interfering in the elections of the the Turkish Cypriots we know that they have interfered in the decisions of the of the constitutional courts of the Turkish Cypriots so everybody knows that this is really not the case anymore so this is why we need to discuss Turkey at this stage Turkey currently decides based on multiple drives number one I think we need to remember that the current leadership of Turkey, the AK Parti government and Erdogan, have been in power for so long that they now accumulated the memories of last, uh, let's say, 20 years. Meaning that they have experienced the 2004 referenda, they have experienced 2011 framework, they have experienced and they have participated in Kran Montana, and whatever happened all those times... Nobody paid any price for failure. Greek Cypriots, Republic of Cyprus government, they they haven't paid any cost. So they thought, why should we are paying the cost? Why should we believe in the process? Why don't we come up with something new? Because if we come up with a position, nobody's going to do anything about it. They've experienced Mr. Guterres not owning the Guterres framework. They have seen how Mr. Guterres let the parties to discuss whether the the framework is a, is of 30th of june or 4th of july origin which eventually we understood that this was a non discussion because there was only one framework they have experienced how the greek cypriot leader um took his time uh, to play with the suggestion of Mr. Akunju when he said let's discuss and, and sign guterres framework as a strategic agreement so this created a fertile ground for them to raise the bets and uh, come up with the two-state solution officially. Since nobody has ever paid any price for not sticking to a federal solution, uh, especially recently. Number two, on the domestic front, it is clear that before the elections in Turkey, Erdogan and the AK Parti government wanted to consolidate the votes of the, the nationalists. Number three, Turkey has uh, Cyprus as a bargaining chip now. And uh, we need to see how Turkey, Russia and Turkey, American relations are shaping up. Um, We know that Turkish-Russian relations are based on supposedly interest, but it is also very clear that it cannot be long run. They are cooperating for different reasons. In a way, for Turkey, it's a bargaining chip towards West, saying that, look, um, you know, if you don't support me or if you don't give me what I want, I'll go with Russia. But it is very clear that this cooperation doesn't have any future, as our guest, Mr. Former Ambassador Selim Kunerab, said in our last podcast. And regarding Turkish-American relations, it is also uh, clear that it needs to be shaped up because America has because the, the new US foreign policy is based on containing China and containing Russia. So while they cannot give in to Turkey when it comes to Russia, they would probably not want to lose Turkey to Russia either. But I think they also they are also clever enough to realize that there is not much future for instead of Turkish Russian relations, I must say Erdogan and Putin relations at this stage. <laughs> Maybe you can talk a bit about how um, European-Turkish relations 
are also relevant to this formula? It was suggested before the 5 plus 1 summit that the United Nations Secretary General was not very keen in calling it but that he received a lot of pressure from the European Union uh, that was seeing the, the summit as a, as a move towards the de-escalation in the region on which it, is, uh, it has been working for a while now. I don't know who would have thought that this was a good idea because we knew that the, the gap between the sides was unbridgeable. So yet another failure, I honestly don't know to whose advantage it is. Uh, but it has been suggested that uh, Turkey was pleased by the outcome of the of the informal summit because again there was no collapse. Uh, the process will continue, and this will allow it to go to the um, European Union uh, uh, Council that will take place in June uh, without a failure on its shoulders and uh, without having been accused of intransigence or anything. And this is when um, the European Union member states will discuss issues like the enhancing of the customs union, the migration deal with uh, uh, with the EU and uh, between the EU and Turkey and a series of other issues that concern the EU-Turkish relations. So the most important aspect in, in the aftermath of this conference, aside from what has to do with the domestic sphere and the future of Cyprus in itself, is how the European Union will uh, respond to what has taken place. Um, it has been uh, suggested by some circles in, uh, in Cyprus that uh, President Anastasiades would be called to put a veto again in the possibility of an enhancement of the uh, EU-Turkey customs union. I do not think that this is possible. Uh, and this is where it becomes interesting to see whether the European Union will use the, the Cyprus card in order to put leverage on Turkey and ask for it for a positive stance on the Cyprus problem in order for it to get uh, what it is asking from the European Union or whether the, the relationship between the EU and Turkey is so important at this time and the migration deal is so important at this time that the European Union will choose to turn a blind eye to what is happening concerning the Cyprus problem. So it is clear that the Cyprus problem is a headache for the European Union. So that is uh, uh, undoubtable. And th this is what we are now waiting to see. At the same time, other analysts uh, have suggested that Turkey itself chose to put forward this intransigent position in the 5 plus 1 summit with a view to uh, using the Cyprus problem and Cyprus in itself as a chip in its negotiation with the European Union. So, uh, you know, the suggestion is that Turkey has raised the stakes so much in order for it to be able to come and negotiate the future of Cyprus and the Cyprus problem with the European Union and to maybe suggest that it will uh, have a, a more positive outlook in, on the issue if it gets what it wants out of the... Um, out of the EU. And on this point, it is worth mentioning that in the press conference after the Geneva conference, the Republic of Cyprus president, Mr. Anastasiadis, he said something interesting that was that has not been discussed uh, widely. Uh, so whilst you had uh, this relief, uh, but at the same time, you had uh, the objective understanding that things are very bad for Cyprus and for the Cyprus problem because uh, Turkey went to the negotiations with such a 
an opening statement, you know, in favor of a two-state solution. The President Anastasiadis came out and said that if Turkey continues its provocations in Famagusta and in the waters around Cyprus and in its exclusive economic zone, the Republic of Cyprus will not attend <laughs> the new informal summit that will be called, uh, possibly called in two or three months' time. So it is interesting that uh, whilst the Republic of Cyprus should be begging for a continuation of the process, President Anastasiadis came out with this suggestion as though telling uh, Turkey that, you know, if you do that and if you proceed to tension in the Eastern Mediterranean, then uh, I will not attend the the new 5 plus 1 uh, conference. So that is also interesting to see, for us to see, because uh, the Republic of Cyprus is supposed to start uh, drilling in its exclusive economic zone if the market allows for it uh, towards the end of 2021. What will Turkey do? Um, the Turkish Minister of, of Energy has already suggested that they might be coming back to the Eastern Mediterranean for drillings very soon. So things are really at a very critical point at the moment because with the situation pending and with the process itself pending, Turkey is now in a position to be on the one hand using the Cyprus problem as a leverage for it in its discussions with the various other geopolitical actors, but on the other hand it is also in a position to be causing minor or greater uh, tensions uh, in and around Cyprus. For, for me, the Turkish and Turkish Cypriot side did not come to the table with a with a solution model. They came to the table with a clear contradiction, with a clear violation of the United Nations resolutions. But what is interesting was that they they were genuine. Mr. Tatar genuinely believes in a two state solution, and Turkey would genuinely support such a solution, you know, would there be such, such an environment, right? While their position are clear breach of the UN Security Council resolutions, the only side, I would say, who, who were not necessarily very genuine about their position was, was Mr. Anastasiadis. And I think it's very clear from, from the outlook that he was just using the comfort of Turkey's side, Turkey's Cypriot side, not pushing for a, a for for a real uh, federal arrangement. The other thing I want to to mention here is we have criticized the EU many times in the past, but there is a reason for that. EU was present around the table in the Kral Montana talks. They had all the time until Mr. Akunju lost the elections. Then they had this famous sofa gate. <laughs> where they visited Turkey and then, you know, they made some statements, but they haven't taken. So, and then there is this, for me, it's also, uh, <laughs> how can I put it into a context? It's, uh, they, they lost their relevance also with the last conference, that they are not even an observer. They were somewhere if need be. You know, they lost their relevance. Nobody should blame other sides for this. They should be blamed they, sh they should take the, the primary blame. And not only, but also the, 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 the leading EU members. I mean, where is Germany? Where is France? What have they been doing? Why didn't EU take uh, very harsh positions for the solution of the Cyprus problem? Because it directly affects the European Union and stability in the region. Why did they allow, allow 
the players to hijack the process of uh, during and after Cran uh, Montana. And now they are complaining that they are uh, irrelevant. Well, you made yourself irrelevant. And I also think that it's also um, uh, astonishing to consider how one side came to the conference with a position that is, as you said, uh, clearly against uh, the UN Security Council resolutions, and yet it's as if it didn't happen. And uh, it is to my great astonishment that we saw Germany uh, expressing um, Uh, its satisfaction at the continuation of the process, the same for the European Union. And it is as though we pretend that something came out of the process simply because the United Nations Secretary General chose to continue this farce. And, and now we pretend that there was a position that could be breached, let's say. <laughs> and um, I must say that whilst, uh, and you know that, and I think our audience knows that Uh, we are stead, uh, steadfastly committed to uh, a federation on the island and we oppose any idea for a two-state solution on the island. But uh, my opinion is that the Republic of Cyprus and the Greek Cypriots should also consider how the Turkish Cypriot side and the Turkish side can actually come uh, on the table with this ungrounded position and get away with it so easily. It must be something that the Republic of Cyprus has also done as a mistake because I honestly believe that had the international community been convinced of the sincerity in the positions by the Greek Cypriot side, it stands towards Turkey and the Turkish Cypriot community when they so blatantly go against the UN Security Council resolutions and all the, the, the framework for a resolution that we've been discussing for the past, uh, uh, since 1977 and onwards, uh, their reaction would have been much different. It is one thing to support a two-state solution. It is another thing that you send your envoy and listen to it from the owners of the proposals in Ankara, in Northern Nicosia, that they will support a two-state solution in that conference. And you allow in the United Nations headquarters in Geneva, under the United Nations symbol and flag, that this proposal comes out. And the only thing that UN Secretary General says that, well, you know that this is against the UN resolution, so I cannot be committing this, but I'm listening to you. This is also partly because of Mr. Anastasiadis. Had he genuinely committed himself in the, in the, the, the federal solution process, it, it wouldn't be that easy for Turks, for Turkish Cypriots, Mr. Tatar, to come up with this. And we also need to remember, at two times when Mr. Anastasiadis uh, was elected, he promised to deliver a, a federal solution. People voted for him because he promised that he will be supporting a federal solution. So not only in the international gameplay, it's a tactic strategy, this and that, but as Cypriots, we know that he did not commit to his waters. He did not deliver what he committed. This is also another uh, problem. Mr. Tatar has always been uh, like this, and, and this is why Turkey interfered in favor of him, and then because they wanted somebody who would be singing that tune, and, and now they are saying that they are only sub uh, supporting the Turkish Cypriot position. It is ridiculous. Everybody is laughing at this. Everybody knows that there is no such thing as a, you know, the, you know we can even say that the Turkish Cypriots have not necessarily been represented there, and half of the people did not vote for him. But again, let's say that 
had, had there been a truly democratic process, I wouldn't dare to say that. But anyway, I passed that chapter now. Now, the point is, what's now? Because we continue to have this problem on this part of the world. Turkey will not hesitate to send the drilling ships again, maybe after the, the EU summit at some point. And this is going to continue to create headache in the Western bloc. Is the West going to expect this to unfold again before doing something? Or it's it's the new policy of postponing and, and, and allowing people to see? I think your question is to the point, Kemal, because this postponement that uh, has allowed some uh, actors to breathe, I honestly hope that it will be a time of recollection and it will be a time of really thinking of how to proceed rather than simply uh, living with the illusion that, okay, we have postponed it and, you know, once again, uh, putting things under the carpet and pretending that things will be fine. Things will not be fine. The region is in for a, a great turmoil in the long term if uh, there is no solution to this issue. If Turkey and the European Union manage to sort their issues without tackling the Cyprus problem, this will mean that the Cyprus problem will exacerbate the lives of uh, Cypriots on the island. And I hope that the European Union uh, understands that even if there is a a sort of a deal now with the migration issue, etc. The, the pending Cyprus problem and possible tension in the waters around Cyprus will remain a headache for uh, the European Union in the long term. And these are things that all uh, geopolitical agents uh, need to consider, including uh, the United Nations, that for some reason allowed itself to be dragged or uh, it itself dragged others into a uh, to give an example from a medical terminology, you can delay the operation if there is something that you are expecting. For example, there is another thing going on, then probably you expect that to heal before you make the operation. But delaying here on this thing doesn't make it any better. In fact, it's going to make it worse. Because every time we delay the processes or, or the, to delay to commit ourselves to a solution, we know that the demographics in the North is getting worse. We know that the positions of the sides are getting more difficult. We know that people are losing their hope and expectations for a solution. We know that there will be other uh, complications coming up. So why delay? And on that note, I also want to humorously uh, congratulate our uh, <laughs> our British friends as, as Cyprus is that uh, they came out from this conference, everybody's admiring them somehow. So, <laughs> you know, like uh, it was Mr. Chaushoglu who was saying that Brits were the only ones who were really trying to do coming up with, with a proposal. And uh, that's a, that's another uh, humorous and uh, funny remark from my side. It's the first time that the Brits get the congratulations from all sides. <laughs> Mr. Anastasiadis also thanked them for their support towards uh, BBF. But uh, we've been very skeptical, Kemal, because I don't think that anyone who follows the process and is interested in um, a sustainable and viable solution could be... Uh, positive after what happened in Geneva. But there is one bit of positive news that we should talk about, and that is the parallel march that took place before the Geneva conference on uh, Saturday to 24th of, of April uh, under the wider title of Together for a Federation. 
I think these are unprecedented times for the modern history of Cyprus, in which Cypriots from all across the country, Greek Cypriots, Turkish Cypriots, Maronites, Armenians, Filipinos, Russians, you know, people who are uh, Cypriots and uh, they are committed in this country, they marched together asking for a federal solution to the Cyprus problem. It was a, a, a ray of optimism uh, ahead of the conference. And if you ask me, I believe that uh, the political process and with the current political actors have uh, nothing positive to offer to the people of Cyprus and that it is people in the streets that are to make the difference from now on. It is Cypriots that should make their uh, voice heard. We've often referred to the lack of uh, a representative aspect on behalf of the current uh, Cypriot leader. So um, I'm not sure to what extent the Mr. Tatar is representing the Turkish Cypriot community. And at the same time, uh, we've seen polls that show that Greek Cypriot leader is at an all-time low uh, when it comes to his credibility. So it's really up to the Cypriots from now on to make their demand uh, heard if they are really interested in a federal solution. Yeah, as a concluding remarks, I would also like to say that um, generally the civil society and sometimes internationals pay a lip service about part, you know, allowing the, the civil society, the women, the youth, the different groups to participate in the process because a peace process cannot be a real peace process without the participation of those people, of those groups. This is actually a, a reality now. I mean, we have seen how a leader-led process continuously create problems for Cypriots and for the international community. The only way to, to bypass this is to make sure that the Cypriots own the process. The people who are living on this island, they, they, they need to have a better future. They need to have more stability. They need to, to make more money. They need to think about their, their children's future. And, you know, all these things come to the point where um, we are supposedly reasonable people and then we should be sitting down and then setting up some kind of a system here where it will be good for everybody. It is very important, for example, that United Cyprus now made this um, press release saying that those groups need to be participating in the peace process. And I think we should be continuously underlining this, this fact. And uh, this is also uh, something that UN has been saying, but uh, they also need to take more initiatives and, and should be open to these ideas as well. And I think that we both know how much effort and time and money the UN invested in uh, considering what went wrong in Gran Montana. And we are both in a position to know that some of the things suggested were, uh, was exactly the lack of representation on behalf of civil society. It's been repeated in all the UN Secretary General's reports since that the need for the engagement of uh, uh, these segments of society as well. And it is absolutely disheartening to see the lack of willingness to change the ways uh, the process is uh, led. But let's finish it with a little bit of a ray of hope. Um, you are very right that you mentioned that you know Cypriots were on the streets on both parts of the divide. Uh, Greek Cypriots carrying Turkish banners, Turkish Cypriots carrying Greek banners. We have seen youth um, doing videos, uh, multiple videos. And, you know, this is the, the, the whole picture. I think it's very important that um, we, we have the future of Cyprus in, in good hands, hopefully. 
and uh, maybe younger generations will be in a better position to do something about it. But why wait? And especially now that the crossings are still blocked, this at least could have been achieved with the intervention of the internationals to uh, coordinate and unify the crossing procedures. It shouldn't be that difficult. And this at least could be something that the internationals could help delivering and telling the leaders and then you know pushing for it because clearly the, the, the current leaderships are not interested in this. And this is not helping uh, the peace process either. And it's not humanitarian at all. And, and at the same time, this is why the failure uh, in Geneva is yet another stark reminder of how fragile things are, because every time a process fails, nationalism and partitionist use uh, become enhanced. And with the crossing points closed, this is very precarious for the future of a united Cyprus. And uh, this is why if uh, the sites are uh, true, or sincere in their desire to push uh, the matters forward, they should at least uh, do what you just said. Let's close with this remark. <laughs> Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you.